0: Hey guys, welcome to our third episode of Beyond the A podcast. Today we have something special, special in the sense that we have a new interviewer. Uh, she's actually one of the founding members of Beyond the A. Online is Sherry Wang, and Sherry's going to be introducing our next speaker. So Sherry, how are things going? Very good, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me here today. I am so excited to introduce our next speaker because he has so much to offer and he's been so engaged with the legal community in terms of offering advice and opening conversations on anxiety, mental health issues and mindfulness. Yeah, exactly. So I'm looking forward to learning a ton and um yeah, let's jump on the line. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Beyond the Aid. The purpose of this podcast is to destigmatize the topic of anxiety and give you the tools and resources to succeed in your career and beyond. And delighted to have with me today is our guest, Professor Thomas Telfer. Professor Telfer has been a member of the Faculty of Law at Western University since 2002. His research and teaching interests include bankruptcy law, contracts, mindfulness, and he is a frequent speaker on mental health issues. In- issues and mindfulness two years ago he launched the mindfulness ambassador program at Western law and for his work in mindfulness he received a leadership in wellness award of recognition it's fascinating that you've been introducing mental health and mindfulness to first-year students since 2017 what was the driving force behind the course
1: well I really didn't discover mindfulness as a concept until 2014, so it's relatively late in my career, and in 2014, I found myself in hospital being treated for depression and anxiety, and uh, I noticed on the schedule there was a slot for a mindfulness session uh, three times a week, and when I first went, I thought it was a complete waste of time because my entire career had been focused on productivity, and I discovered mindfulness involved sitting in a circle, doing nothing, and it was really counterintuitive to me. Uh, but over time, I gradually accepted the um, the value of mindfulness. And when I got out of hospital, I was determined to adopt mindfulness as my own practice, but also to bring it to students.
0: Why students? Why would you choose to focus on students and not just the legal profession? Because the, the issue of mental health and anxiety extends beyond the student population and into our daily lives as legal practitioners. So what, what is it about students that you wanted to focus on them?
1: Yeah, I should, should say at the outset that mindfulness is a concept uh, is also relevant to the legal profession in that uh, the Law Society of Ontario has recognized that the legal profession uh, may be at greater risk than the general population for things like depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and suicide. And the Law Society actually recommended mindfulness in that same report. And uh, in terms of why students, I I wanted to target first-year students because they're all sharing a common experience and they have the same pressures and anxieties As they go through the first year program and I thought it was really ideal to use mindfulness as a way to uh, Address some of those concerns because there are scientific studies that demonstrate that mindfulness can actually improve rates of depression and anxiety in the in the uh, For those who participate in mindfulness
0: How do you think we should shift the conversation and culture on anxiety and mental health in the profession beyond just the students? Because as yourself has personally experienced, a lot of the times the symptoms don't appear after well into many years into your professional career.
1: Yes. I'm I'm hoping that the students I'm teaching right now will take this into the law firms and influence the culture of law firms um, as they as they progress. So that's one aspect. The second aspect is uh, is mindfulness for the legal profession itself. And I've spoken um, to lawyers, the, the Law Society of Newfoundland and Labrador had me do a, a seminar on mindfulness for the legal profession. And I think it's important, not just from the for students, but also lawyers who are actually practicing and exposing lawyers to the concepts of mindfulness while they're in practice.
0: Have you encountered any setbacks while you're trying to push the initiative forward?
1: Well, because the concept is new, um, the th- there may well be some resistance to the the actual um, adoption of it within within law firms. Uh, but I think. Things are changing in that um, uh, one of the major law firms, uh, international law firms, has appointed a chief mindfulness officer, and that's just, the, you know, that's, that was only this summer, and that's a significant change in the culture, and hopefully other law firms will pursue that as well.
0: So, let's go back to your experience. What actually resulted in your depression? back in 2014.
1: I think it was a contribution, so a combination of uh, overwork and uh, lack of work-life balance and always looking for the next thing, the next conference, the next publication without adequately spacing out those commitments And so I think really the the work-life balance uh, just got askew and it led to a deep, deep depression.
0: And so did you actively reach out by yourself to, or were you admitted to the hospital involuntarily? Um, Or was there somebody in your friend circle that said, Hey, it's better to seek out help or how did your, support network help you through the process
1: my wife was an absolute uh, essential person in this this whole process and she recognized that I definitely needed help and it was really my family doctor who identified uh, in 2014 that I really needed uh, to be treated for depression and and anxiety Uh, but I must say that I had an earlier episode in my legal career right after I was called to the bar in 1990. And I was struggling and I went to my family doctor back in 1990 He said, I really don't know what's going on. I'm not feeling that great. And he said, I think you are dealing with uh, depression and anxiety and I'd really like to try a medication. And I completely rejected that diagnosis because I so feared the stigma that's attached to depression and anxiety. I feared that someone would find out that I'd lose my job. And so really, I I ignored that initial advice, largely because of the stigma that was associated, that I now know is associated with mental health issues.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, As you said stigma, but you broke through that stigma yourself. In, in this instance, when you're actively speaking out and teaching people about mental health and anxiety and how to be mindful in their own practice or in going forward as a student, as counsel, et cetera. So how did you break out from the stigma or what did you do to help yourself break out from the stigma?
1: Well, for the longest time, I, I, I hid my diagnosis. I did not speak about it publicly. And it wasn't until um, a few years ago that my uh, specialist approached me and said, you know, the, the hospital is doing a video all about uh, zero suicide. And I was a survivor of a suicide attempt. And they asked me to appear in this video. And that was the real breaking of the silence for me when I appeared in this video and then in the web story. And I found that after that silence was broken, I was able to then share my story in public talks with with, uh, people.
0: And did you feel like people were shocked to see that you were experiencing this while on the surface, through their interactions, they didn't really perceive you having the issue?
1: Yeah, because in some instances, you can simply uh, get by and, and hide your symptoms Uh, but at some point the symptoms overtake and and you really do need professional care.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it's really powerful to say that um, it's okay to speak out. And I hope that the people that have been on the end of your communication are very open and to helping you and understanding about this and that is something that I feel like the legal profession should really move forward with is be open to the conversation because at the end of the day we're still wonderful people and to my understanding you may have already you may have even done a few publications and progressed in your legal career even when you're dealing with all this in the background
1: yeah absolutely I I continue to uh... To, to work and publish um, while dealing with some of the, the symptoms. Um, but over time, the symptoms overtook me and, and that's why I needed to, to be uh, uh, receive medical treatment in hospital.
0: Okay, so how have you felt that um, mindfulness helped you?
1: Well, mindfulness is really about stopping and uh, taking a pause uh, and John Kabat-Zinn has a great definition of mindfulness. Mindfulness is paying attention to the present moment on purpose without judgment. And we're paying attention on purpose to the present moment. I think that's an important factor here is we're not trapped in thinking about the future and our to-do list because living in the future creates a source of anxiety and also regrets about the past can also create a sense of anxiety or even depression. And so mindfulness really helped me focus on the present moment, allowed me to complete the task at hand without being obsessed about uh, my to-do list in the, in the future.
0: Wonderful. How do you define mindfulness then? Like what does mindfulness mean? Because mindfulness can mean many things for different people. Some people may say it's it's to live in the present. Some people might interpret it differently. What is your interpretation of mindfulness?
1: I think the best definition of mindfulness is by Jon Kabat-Zinn. And he said mindfulness is paying attention to the present moment on purpose without judgment. And if you contrast mindfulness with mindlessness, Uh, For example, sometimes it's easier to describe what what is not mindfulness. So, for instance, you go for a walk from A to B, and you arrive at your destination B, but on reflection, you realize that you didn't remember anything that you saw or heard along the way because your mind was trapped in a spiral of of thoughts. And so... That's an example of what is not mindfulness, and so being able to focus on the present moment, mindfulness will allow you if for instance, you go for a mindful walk, you can focus on what you're seeing and hearing around you
0: so it's a conscious exercise to essentially alert yourself that so you should let things go and Focus on the present rather than being anxious about the future and things to come. Is that something that you teach through your classes as well?
1: Absolutely. So, with the uh, the first year class, every class we listen to a guided meditation. Uh, well, actually, I lead the guided meditation, and then we had students to react to that. And similarly, in my upper year credit course, we also the students are listening to guided meditations. And they're required to listen to meditations outside of class as well. And just to emphasize, so there's no misunderstanding about what mindfulness is, it does involve uh, listening to, to meditation, the to guided meditation, so that you're, you're engaging in practice of being aware in the present moment. But then you can take your practice outside of a, a guided meditation and You can engage in any activity in a very mindful way, a mindful walk, a mindful shower, for example. You can do that with a present present awareness. Practice of listening to a guided meditation is sort of like going to the gym. It's strengthening your mind that you're more focused on the present moment. And that you can also then take your, your present moment awareness into daily activities. So I really try. So one of the tasks I asked students last week is do a mindful, So do a everyday activity in a mindful way, whether that's brushing your teeth, making tea, uh, going for a walk. And so there's two aspects of it. And I can share with you a a very brief uh, guided meditation called Take Five. Take five was developed by Mindfulness Without Borders. In fact, all of the first year programming is based on materials developed by Mindfulness Without Borders. And in the materials, one of the meditations is called Take Five. Would you like me to share that with you? Yes, please. So sit in a comfortable position and allow both soles of your feet to connect to the floor. Turn one hand, palm up to the ceiling. This will be your counting hand. At the end of each breath cycle, you will fold one finger into the palm of your hand until all five fingers are folded. So you're simply gonna breathe in and breathe out for the count of one through five. So let's start with breathing in and breathing out for the count of one. Breathing in, breathing out for the count of two. Breathing in, breathing out for the count of three. Breathing out, breathing in for count of four. And finishing with five, breathing in and breathing out. And that's the end of take five.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Professor Telfer. I was actually just following along within the last few minutes and it really calmed me down.
1: <laughs> That's great.
0: I was wondering if you've had or if you felt any differences between before your episode and coming out and having this conversation and being more open with it. Has that changed your practice or has that changed the way you perceive things?
1: yeah a couple of things uh, i was carrying an incredible burden by hiding um, my symptoms and 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 not sharing it publicly and uh, it was an incredible weight off my shoulders once i came forward and shared my story publicly uh, that i was no longer afraid of uh, speaking out and it really made an incredible difference to me personally and I think it's important for others to also to speak out when they're comfortable and and uh, the other thing I I noticed from my own experience is that now that I'm more familiar with the prevalence of depression and anxiety in our society when I now look out at a class of students I, I wonder you know how many students are out there who are actually uh, struggling. And so it gave me insight into what others might be, uh, I guess, I guess empathy is, is the biggest thing that developed in the uh, understanding of what others might be going through.
0: Has any students come to you after the class to talk about their situations? Because I feel like just having a resource to talk to is so invaluable for people that are in the moment at that moment, anxious and needing help, then looking around and seeing who is the right person to talk to. And you've put yourself very explicitly in the spotlight to say that, Hey, if you have issues, potentially, I'm a really good candidate to talk to.
1: Yeah. I have had students come by my office and share the, some of their own mental health stories. Uh, but it's important to recognize that um, this is a broad, may well be a broader problem within the law school. And so the law school is actually now has a full time wellness counselor, a person who's, uh, whose expertise is in, in speaking with students about mental health issues. And so we have that resource at the law school.
0: All right. Amazing. Thank you for sharing your stories and the mini lesson with us, Professor Telfer. If you want to learn more about Professor Telfer and his initiatives or upcoming content and events of Beyond the A, reach out to us at beyondthea.co or follow us on Instagram. See you next time.